These past few weeks, we've been exploring the relations of remembering, rejoicing, and responding. We've been remembering the great cloud of witnesses, thinking of our blood relations, thinking of our relations and ancestors in the faith, the biblical characters, and many of the reformers, and thinking of those in our own past and our own church experiences throughout our lives, those who have touched our lives, and thinking of those who have gone before us here at the neighborhood church. And then we've thought of the relations of all those rememberings to who we are and who we are as a community of faith as we move forward looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And we've reflected on how our relations of rejoicing are about being together as Christ's family in a partnership of working together. If one member suffers, we all suffer together. And if one member rejoices, we all rejoice together. And we've considered strengthening our relation in rejoicing as we give, as we give to the Lord and God's work in the world. And as we give more and more and share more and more, we find that inner joy that can come. And finally, we've lifted up the relations of responding as the interchanges of humans one to another. It's how we care for one another. It's how we give of ourselves and how we receive in that ongoing ebb and flow of giving and receiving. And it is our relations of responding on a divine level. For when we are connected to God as the true vine grower, our responses can be fruitful. Remembering, rejoicing, and responding are all tied together in the life of faith. Here's how Shakespeare put it. Let never day nor night unhallowed pass, but still remember what the Lord hath done. The Apostle Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. And Pearl Bartell wrote, I fail or succeed in my responding to life in proportion to how convinced I am that life belongs to God. Do you see how remembering and rejoicing and responding are all related? They have a common thread, and that common thread is God. We are all here because of that one common thread. Not only are we alive, enjoying life and breath because of God, but we are here together to worship and praise and give thanks to God. Today is sort of a pre-Thanksgiving time, as next Sunday we will celebrate Thanksgiving uh, during a special service. Actually, gratitude is the most, the most prominent, permanent attitude. Gratitude is that very special and important attitude. Every Sunday is a time of thanksgiving. Every day is an occasion to give thanks to God, regardless of what our circumstances are. How appropriate, then, that our closing hymn this morning would frame our service with the words of Martin Reinhardt, Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices.
Remember, rejoice, respond. Thankfulness begins with a good memory. St. Augustine encourages us in our gratitude, thank God. What better words to shape our minds or fit our tongue or grace our pen? No prayer is shorter to say, sweeter to hear, grander to think on, more fruitful to practice. Thank God. Now thank we all our God. In a day and time when people think their morals and choices are completely relative and personal, our faith offers us something different. I mean, so many place uh, no other demands on their lives than what's right for them and their spouse and their children. It's the Lord. <laughs> you never know who's calling. Um, but the, the, the tides, I mean, so many people get caught up in just their own little world. And the tides of our culture ebb and flow with eh, whatever floats your boat. Not so with faith. Now, thank we all. Even if you don't feel like it in Christian community, you are called to be thankful. Now thank we all our God. You see, it's so simple. It's so obvious. God is at the center. I said it earlier, the common thread of remember, rejoice, and respond is God. Now some of you may be thinking to yourselves, okay, okay, so I already know that. Why don't you tell me something I don't know? Of course, we know God is central and we should give thanks to God. And that's the point because it's so obvious and so simple. It's so easy to take it for granted and miss the deepest connections in the living out of our lives. We teach and preach regularly about the need to be thankful. And yet we, as your ministers, are no different than you. We are not always as thankful as we could or should be. And so we need each other as we come together regularly to be reminded in a time of worship to thank God. Now thank we all our God. When our relationships are alive and growing, we usually find the gifts of synergy, serendipity, and sharing. In community, an overspill of energy is produced that is greater than the sum of the individual parts. Such synergy provides unexpected encounters, surprises, and gifts. And that's one of the joys of community engagement in the church. As a result, the impulse to be a part of God's giving living and to share that energy with others is compelling. Now thank we all our God. With what? With heart and hands and voices. With heart and hands and voices. Our three scripture texts lift up the theme. First, with the heart. In Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might or energy. We all have energy. From the deepest part of yourself, the heart, to the outward expression of your energy, your might, you are to love the Lord. A young girl had a grandmother who went through open-heart surgery. 
And after the surgery, Grandma came to convalesce in their home. And when Grandma had been situated in her bed, the girl came in and and she asked, Grandma, did you really have hope and heart surgery? Yes, I did, dear, replied the grandmother. Well, did the doctor really see inside your heart? Again, the grandmother replied, yes. And the little girl hesitated for a moment, and then she leaned a little closer, and she said, well, Grandma, did God see, did, 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 did the surgeon see God in your heart? You know, that's a question for all of us, even though we haven't necessarily had open-heart surgery. If someone were to look closely in our heart of hearts, would they see God? If so, our hearts will be flowing with thankfulness and love. The word heart is very important in the Bible. In the singular form, it's used 673 times, and in the plural, 150 for a total of 828 times. The heart is the center of our deepest religious self. And it is one of the few religious words which still carries meaning and mystery for almost everyone in our culture, churched and unchurched alike. Consider your own heart for a moment. It can be so small as to only embrace oneself in its thoughts and desires, which makes for a very selfish person. The heart can be a little bit bigger to include one's family, and that makes for a good family person. The heart may be enlarged to embrace a community, a town, or city, and that makes for a good civic person. It could take in a whole nation, and that makes for a patriotic person. Or it could take in humankind, and that makes for a good philanthropist. Or the heart may embrace the whole of creation and the Creator, along with Christ's church and ministry. And friends, that makes one godlike. The reformer John Calver was a firm believer in the all-powerful grace of God, and his family crest was his expression of his inner gratitude at receiving undeserved mercy. It pictures a heart upon an open, outstretched hand. And the motto says, My heart I give to thee, Lord, eagerly and earnestly. Now thank we all our God with heart. And with hands. So here now from our second text. Now concerning love of the brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anyone write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. Indeed, you do love all other, all the brothers and sisters. But we urge you, beloved, to do so more and more, to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands. Hands are very important in the Bible. In the plural form, they're used 447 times, and in the singular, 1,140 times, for a combined total of 1,587 hands. Here's a true story from an earlier century. Mary was only 13, the eldest of seven children. Her mother was dying in her narrow tenement quarters. She called Mary to her bedside and said, I must leave you, and you must be mother now to the children. Be patient with Father. You know he is kind to us when he's not drinking. 
and keep the children together. God help you. And with that, the mother was gone. Little Mary bravely undertook her new role, but two years later, she too lay dying of the same disease that had previously taken her mother. She told her sad story to her minister who came to visit. And then she said, Now I am dying as mother did. I've been patient with father and I've kept the children together, but I'm afraid to die. I've not gone to church because I've had no fit clothes and I've been too tired of nights to say my prayers. Now what can I say to Jesus when I see him? The wise minister took her small hands, hardened by toil for others, and said, Don't say anything, Mary. Just show him your hands. Just show him your hands. And if anyone knows, it's the Lord. Remember how Jesus showed doubting Thomas and the others his hands with the nail holes and all that he had done through his life of serving and giving, his sacrifice. So now I want you to consider your hands. If you care to, look at your hands. We don't always look at our hands. We just use them all the time. But sometimes it's good just to look at our hands and ask yourself, how do I use my hands for the Lord? I hope you'll ponder that beyond today's worship service. Now thank we all our God with hearts and hands. Remember, rejoice, respond with hearts and hands. And finally, with voices. And our third text picks it up in Psalm 19. The heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament proclaims God's handiwork day to day pours forth speech and night to night declares knowledge. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. The human and divine voice in the Bible are so important. In the singular and plural forms, they combine for a total of 392 times. We sang it before the sermon. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing our great Redeemer's praise. You know, when I, when I first became a senior minister, now 30 years ago, it's hard for me to imagine. During that interview, when I was moving into a much larger responsibility, I'll never forget one of the questions that the search committee asked me. They said, David, if you had to pick one of your senses, only one that you could have, which would it be? Now, that's a hypothetical question, and it's really hard to put one in front of the other. But I was surprised at my response in the moment. I said the one thing uh, that I would not want to lose would be my sense of hearing. Because to hear another's voice, especially an encouraging voice, is one of the most precious things in the world. You can hear a voice, and within a second or two, you know whose it is, even if you don't see them. An old Japanese proverb says, The tongue is but three inches long, yet it can kill a person five, six, or seven feet tall. I'd like to think of it the other way around. 
The tongue is so small, but it can help build up God's children and God's purposes. For the word became flesh. The word became flesh and dwelled among us. And think of the impact Jesus' voice had. And think of the impact your voice can have. And think of the impact our voices together can have. For together we are the church. We are Christ's body here and now, living and speaking his love to a world so desperately in need of deeper meaning and relationships. Our voices can lift and build thank and praise, or they can cut and hurt, criticize, or destroy. Remember, rejoice, respond with hearts and hands and voices. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices. The psalmist also says it this way in Psalm 57. My heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you. We were at one of, Michelle and I were at one of the Breakers dinners just two nights ago on Friday evening. And um, as we were getting ready to have grace before the meal, we, um, we all held hands. Maybe sometimes you've done that before a meal or Thanksgiving time, maybe as you give the grace to a meal, sometimes you take hands around the dining table. Um, we're going to do something we don't do very often here at the church. Um, I'm going to ask you, when we sing the response after the affirmation of faith, when we're standing, if you could just reach out and grab a hand, somebody near you, um, to take a hand to remind us of how connected we are through our hearts and our hands and our voices. Um, and I'll, I'll remind you when we stand to do that. But um, I know it may be a little awkward. If you're not comfortable doing it, you don't have to. But my hope is we'll take hands and feel that connection as the body of Christ. Now thank we all our God. Remember, rejoice, respond with hearts and hands and voices. You know, that would be the easy way to end the sermon. But you all know that. You know that. We've been talking about it. Now, these past several weeks, I'd like to end a little differently with a new beginning. Your hearts, your hands, your voices, use them into the future. Use them as God has given you uniquely to use. Be God's agent for love anew. Amen.